I've always been an entrepreneur at heart. My name is Elon Jacobson, and deal-making is in my DNA. I'll be here each week talking with entrepreneurs and deal-makers about the crazy obstacles they've faced along their paths, and whether it's nature or nurture driving their success. Expect the unexpected on a deal-maker's DNA. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of A Dealmaker's DNA. I've got a fun one today. I have Tom Short uh, on the podcast with me. Tom, thanks so much for joining me. Oh, I'm pleased to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So Tom is the founder of Kudos, and Kudos is an employee recognition, feedback, organizational commu communication platform. Um, super interested to learn a little more about that. Tom also has a, a storied background in, in marketing and, and other forms of leadership. So I'm sure we'll touch on, uh, on, on some of those things. So, so again, Tom, thanks so much. And, um, you know, for, for those that don't know what Kudos does, maybe, maybe you can start there just to kind of, a, uh, you know, broad overview. Um, because I, you know, I, I know quite a bit about the space that you play in, but I think most people probably don't. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, Kudos in a nutshell is an employee peer-to-peer -peer recognition system where anyone can recognize anyone else for the little things they do to major accomplishments so everyone can kind of connect, communicate, and celebrate all the wonderful things that make a company great. And so it's about focusing on culture with the simple power of a thank you and uh, recognizing the little behaviors that lead to the major outcomes that you're looking for. And it's all about those micro-touches and connecting remote workers and, you know, and reinforcing your core values and just making everyone know that their contributions are seen and are valued. And something so small like that can make a major impact on an organization. It's like tipping over dominoes, like where you can see a smaller domino knock over a bigger domino and a bigger domino. And when that happens, you actually can, you know, use something as, as simple as just appreciation to uh, increase overall performance. And, you know, lots of studies have shown that, you know, uh, and, you know, the old cliche that, you know, culture eats strategy for lunch uh, is kind of true. And uh, and it's fascinating right now, especially in these COVID times, how many organizations are now realizing with the great resignation and other things kind of going on, you know, how do I keep my best talent? How do I motivate uh, that talent? And how do I become an employer of choice? And so really, that's what Kudos is all about. That's awesome. So, so Tom, I'm going to come back to this idea of culture and I love that culture eats strategy for lunch. We're going to come back to all that, but I want to take a step way back. You know, you mentioned that you're you're in Calgary right now, but but talk to me about the beginnings of of Tom Short. I mean, what <laughs> what what happened in your childhood that led to kind of this this path? Well, it's a, 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 a interesting story at the beginning. Then it becomes kind of a sad story, and then it becomes an interesting story again. You know, I grew up in Texas. My father was in uh, the military and uh, Air Force, and uh, five brothers and sisters. And so I've got a brother and sister in pretty well every major U.S. city and even now here in Calgary as well as my dad dropped us off across the country at wherever he went. And uh, but at the end of the day, he was involved with NASA at, in Houston and was uh, in charge of the Apollo program and uh, the shuttle program looking after the astronauts primarily. And uh, the Calgary Stampede called one day and said, hey, we'd like to have a an astronaut marshal the Calgary Stampede parade. And and talked to my father and, and uh, my father brought up a few astronauts and uh, came up to Calgary in July and the summertime and the stampedes going and the beers flowing and it's beautiful. And this is 1976. 
And uh, he's thinking, you know what? I think I could be J.R. Ewing. And uh, so he moved us all up here to start an oil and gas company and live in uh, Calgary, which is a wonderful town from a work-life balance. The mountains and the countryside and the, and the city is actually kind of fun and dynamic. Uh, you know, we're going through our tough times right now with the oil and gas scenario, but Calgary is also seeing a major tech boom with more technology companies uh, flourishing here. But from there, I stayed and, you know, and uh, went to high school here, uh, then university, had the the luxury of playing uh, a couple of years at the University of Calgary with a football team. And and then, of course, like everyone else, I got into the oil and gas business and and uh, and it's a good business, but it's kind of boring, to be honest, and uh, unless you're a geologist or an engineer. And uh, so I embarked on a private company with my brother-in-law who had started another company for anyone that's in the desktop publishing business from the 80s. Uh, he had a company called Image Club Graphics, and it was one of the first companies creating fonts and clip art and items for desktop publishing, doing everything through direct mail. And so he wanted to put neon in his house because he thought Miami Vice was a cool show. And we had to figure out how can you put neon in a home without, you know, avoiding your insurance. So we invented a low, a low voltage corn coil transformer to push 12 volts DC up to 7,000 volts AC. So you could have like Tom's bar or accents of neon in your house on a poster or whatever the case might be. And it was quite successful, but we were so young and stupid, we didn't realize you couldn't ship neon. So the catalogs got there all the time and people were ordering our products all over North America, but we were having 50% breakage when we were shipping these things. And so we had to pivot and rethink things. And uh, we realized since the catalogs were getting there and people loved their catalogs, we moved the company of Bright Ideas into a new uh, era of what we called catalog machine, doing direct mail catalogs through catalog. And then, of course, then that led to more people calling us about uh, brochures and logos and marketing strategies. And so we started doing that. And then one day uh, in the 90s, somebody called us and said, hey, could you do a website for me? And we went, sure, what's a website, guys? And so we figured that out and became one of the top website development operations in Canada and North America. And and that was called Idea Machine. And then Idea Machine kept going. And uh, then 9-11 happened. And that kind of took the wind out of everyone's sails. And and it was a little tough. And so we merged with another company to create a full service agency, which was called Rare Method. And it was at Rare Method that we were growing. And all of a sudden, in 2008, the financial meltdown of the uh, mortgage crisis happened. And again, took the wind out of our sails. And we were at 350 people and we were hemorrhaging people. And it was tough and lots of stuff was going on. And we were scratching our heads thinking, you know, how can we you know, keep this great team together and keep them motivated. And that's where kudos became a uh, reality uh, at, at Rare Method. And we uh, did it for ourselves because we went out to the market and uh, found out that everybody was so focused on rewards. We didn't want to do that. We wanted to use social communication and micro messaging to, uh, you know, tell everybody we appreciated them because it just town halls and and group meetings and, you know, in-person attaboys and attagirls just wasn't cutting it. And all of our uh, agency clients saw what we were doing and asked if they could use the product. So then we decided to commercialize it. And in 2010, uh, we separated the companies and I got together with my business partner, Mooney Bogo. And uh, Mooney and I have been pushing this ball up the hill ever since. And now we're in 80 countries around the world and 11 languages and, you know, changing the world one thank you at a time. You know, I love hearing the the entrepreneurial story because what's what's what I find fascinating is this idea of 
of being able to see something and just doing it, right? I think a lot of people have the, this concept of, of, I got a great idea, but the separation between I have a great idea and actually doing something with that great idea is really that that's the entrepreneurial spirit, in my opinion. Yeah. Lots of people have great ideas, you know, and epiphanies in the shower or they see opportunities, but it's all about, you know, getting after it and making it happen. And, and that's the hardest thing because there's, there's funding and there's risk and there's just the unknown. And when people go, I don't know how to do that. It, it, the ideas become, they stall. It doesn't, nothing happens. I think in my format, we always kept saying, how hard could it be? You know, let's start a neon company. How hard could it be? You know, and then just, we just do it and we make lots of mistakes, but you know, it's like that old saying, you, you, you either uh, win or you learn. And we were all learning a lot over that time period. And what's your view on, on naivety? And I, I, I use that word specifically because when I started Firepower, I was 26 years old. I didn't know I shouldn't do it. I, That's I didn't exactly know it was right. And, and, and I was just naive. And yes. I really think there's something romantic and, 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 and good about being naive and, uh, and going yeah. into something kind of not knowing. Yeah, you got to be fearless, but you also have to be a little clueless <laughs> to, <laughs> to tell you the truth. Uh, because you, if you do have that attitude of being naive or, or you know, not if you if you know too much, you, you know all the risks. If you just know enough that you think it's a good idea and you feel you have the energy and uh, the capabilities to pull off your dream and you just you know rush in head first, 90 percent of the time you'll get it done. You know, all of us do run into obstacles. Like in the Bright Ideas case, we were actually successful, but we were so successful it was putting us out of business very quickly because of the breakage that we were having. So we had to pivot. So you always have to be ready to pivot and move to the next best idea when the opportunities present itself. But you just got to remove that fear factor where, you know, you, you damn the torpedoes. I'm going to do this. And you just make it happen by it sure uh, uh, will. Yeah. So, so like when you think back at, you know, you're at this point in your life, you've, you've had quite an entrepreneurial journey. How much of that was just innate DNA that, you know, you were born with you. I mean, your father sounds like a bit of an explorer mm -hmm. and was that imparted on you very quickly and early that you can kind of do whatever you want or was it, was it more complex of a journey for you? I think it was, you know, not just my father and my family uh, that influenced that. I did see that in my family and my father, he just kind of did these really cool, amazing things that I didn't really think about. I just thought, yeah, that's cool. It's an astronaut, whatever, you know, kind of a situation. Uh, but it, it just kind of seemed natural to just, uh, you know, take on a challenge and try to overcome the challenge, whether it was in sports, in school, which I wasn't a great student, but, you know, I, I did enough to get done. But he, you know, it was kind of funny where my folks never really even you know, had a plan for us to go to university. They just kind of went, oh, you're done high school. What are you going to do now? And I'm like, I don't know. What should I do? And there's like, what do you want to do? And I'm like, I don't know. And I think all my friends are going to university. I'm like, okay, why don't you go to university? And so, you know, we just did it, you know, and uh, back in the day, it was easier to get into U of C and other schools. I probably wouldn't qualify now. Uh, but the, um, but it was just that environment of, of there was zero negativity. Uh, it was always kind of like kind of an attitude of why not? Uh, you know, uh, you know, that sounds like a good idea. Go for it. 
And so there was that support mechanism. But then, you know, even when I got into uh, the oil and gas business and I was working at a company called Canadian Hunter, I was very fortunate that the people there were very entrepreneurial and, and the leaders there were amazing. And in fact, it, one of the things that made that company so great was a uh, great culture. And I had no idea that this culture was influencing me. And so from there, I thought, you know, yeah, sure, I can, again, it just reinforced, I can put any, get anything done that I put my mind to. And they gave me lots of opportunities there that allowed me to continue to refine my skills after university from accounting and finance skills to marketing skills. And, uh, you know, and so just, it was all this little bit of just gathering skills as you go along that allowed you to be kind of a a renaissance person in a certain way. I didn't hyper-focus in one area. I, I was kind of a jack of all trades and uh, and always lo- excited to look for the next opportunity and see what I could do and and have some fun. I was kind of unemployable. <laughs> you know, it's interesting. You, you mentioned this, like your parents saying, you know, what do you want to do? You don't meet a lot of, of people, especially in Canada, that come from military families. And, and I would have you know, gone into this assuming if I met someone who came from a military family, that things were actually very rigid and, and structured. So, so how do you think that coming from a military family, uh, you know, influenced your path? I think discipline, you know, and, and hard work were kind of like at the top of the notch, like, you know, like, and my father and my mother and, and, and all of my brothers and sisters, you know, all, we always felt supported and, you know, we were our own little unit. <laughs> And everybody, uh, you know, kind of pulled their own weight and, and knew what they were supposed to do as a, as a team, which was reflected in the sports teams that we played in and the friends we accumulated and the uh, businesses that we ended up in. And it was just more of that succeed as a team mentality. So it all kind of, you know, thinking back, it all kind of played out to, you know, culture, you know, right from the very beginning, a culture of success, a culture of winning, a culture of, of, uh, you know, uh, no fear kind of a scenario and a, and a culture of everyone's got your back, you know, so even if something did go wrong, you, you knew that, you know, if you fell, you were not going to fall that far. So, so let's now dive, dive into this concept of culture. You know, I, I find that a lot of people are all talk when it comes to culture, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, like you, you speak to these entrepreneurs, you speak to some of these companies and it's, you know, they, they, they talk a good talk, but then you speak to the employees and there's a real separation from what they say and what people actually feel. What do people get wrong? We call it the say do dilemma because they say one thing, they do something different and people see that. And it's when that there's a, 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 a you know, a gap there, you know, those cultures are, are bad or fake. But when you have somebody that actually walks the walk, it makes a big difference and it's rare. Yeah. So why is it rare? Like if everyone knows it's like, you know, you, you mentioned culture, eat strategy for lunch. If we know that there's ROI in actually caring, and I want to talk about that concept of ROI of caring, but if we know there is, why is it so difficult to actually pull off? Because it's hard. <laughs> it, the, 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 the soft stuff is the hard stuff. You know, a- anybody can create a process. Anyone can create a, a program. You can even create, you know, a good idea around a product. But every business on the planet is uh, got people and people are weird and strange. And it's it's a, a melting pot of all these different personalities and, and things going on in people's lives. And, you know, and how do you motivate them and get them to do their th- do things right? And if you look at all the companies that you know, typically outperform everyone else, 
you know, they usually have, if you get down to the nitty gritty, you know, uh, you know, a, a good culture. And that comes from, you know, leadership. It comes from hiring and onboarding. It comes from having, you know, a, a true sense of purpose and, you know, strong, uh, values, you know, and, and getting people that believe in that same, uh, you know, uh, you know, ideal on your team and then keeping them motivated. And then so many other, th- other things come into play after you kind of have a big idea and a, an opportunity that, you know, that everyone can get behind like kudos, like all the team members that join us, they're just like, I really love the idea of what kudos is all about. So that's an easy one to tip over mission accomplished. Now, the next thing is how do you kind of get them engaged on a continuous basis? And then that's how you treat them and the opportunities you offer them and the ways that you coach and mentor them and uh, give them opportunities to learn and grow. But coming back to a kind of a kudos uh, sensibility, it's also making sure you're having those micro feedback loops, making sure that they're aware that their contributions are valued and making a difference. And, you know, it comes back to that. And it's kind of hard because we're so busy that sometimes I forget to send recognition. Sometimes I forget to stop and, and appreciate somebody as well, just like my my co-founder Mooney does, because, you know, we're so busy trying to grow the business. And if we, you know, everyone talks about uh, having balance in their lives and, and even balance at work, like work-life balance and all that kind of stuff. The truth is, we're always unbalanced and you can't be successful unless you're unbalanced. And that means you have to really be all in in certain areas, but you can be unbalanced one day, just working like on work and putting in long hours and, and doing your thing. And then you can be unbalanced by, you know, pivoting to, okay, now how do I sustain in, in my culture and build a great culture to being unbalanced? Like I need to spend more time at home with my family and give them. But every time you do something, do it with all your heart and energy. And you'd, you don't, if you try to do everything equally well, like if from an, uh, a quality standpoint, you'll do everything equally poorly. You just need to go all in in certain areas, but you can shift that energy uh, throughout the day or throughout the week or throughout the year. If a company's culture sucks, is it too late? No. How hard is it to change? You know, the leadership needs to lead. Uh, they need to make a decision that it is important and they need to put in systems that create consistency, transparency, and reach. They can't let it just be ad hoc and hope it'll all work out okay. This is where people that are very good at, you know, the C-level folks like CEOs and CFOs, they're really good around processes and really good around uh, structure, but apply that same energy and strength to saying, how can I use processes, structures, and systems to uh, support my culture? Uh, but you got to make a, a, a definite uh, concentrated effort to say, what's important? What do I need to do? And then start with the things that the, are the easiest, build a foundation, and then just iterate in that unbalanced to balanced format of you know getting little things right and then building on them uh, sequentially. I speak to young people all the time, and they all want to work for a business that has great culture. Now, as they're going through an interview process, it's super easy to fake culture in, you know, one or two meetings. How would you recommend these young individuals do their own due diligence, you know, on a company's culture to ensure that, that it's aligned with what they're, what they're trying to achieve and the kind of business they want to work for? Because I think it is, you know, if, if you're not aligned with the culture of the business, it's just, you're never going to, you're never going to fully achieve the full potential of yourself, in my no. opinion. No. 
you gotta, you gotta love what you do and, and you gotta love who, where you work and, and who you work with because that energy will make you successful. If you, if, if it's Joe and the volcano and you hate going to work every day, you know, find another job because it'll, you know, cause you, you'll never reach your potential if you're, if you, if you're going in with a bad attitude or even not going in at all because you're, <laughs> I don't feel good today kind of a thing. And, you know, and taking that day off. How do they diligence it to any degree of confidence? Yeah, I, like like anything, do your homework. Like uh, research the leaders, see what their reputations are like, uh, see what uh, what you know how they project themselves. Because you know it, it it will be leadership down to the team. But then when you do your interviews, you know I always look for when we're interviewing somebody, do I like this person? You know, would I? You know, do they pass the beer test? Oh, I totally agree. And because you're going to have to work with this person a lot. And so the same thing with a manager, if you feel that they have the attributes and it doesn't mean everyone has to be all about creating a great culture. They could be somebody that's actually very rigid and very uh, pragmatic and very disciplined. And that can align to your core beliefs and feelings. And you're like, I like this person. I could, you know, I, this person's going to give me what I need as an employee to become better and the support I need. You know, so it's that first test, but look at their glass door ratings, read the reviews, get an understanding of, of, uh, you know, what they're like. Nobody's perfect. No company's perfect, but you can totally see and dodge a bullet of like a toxic culture by doing something as simple as that. Or you can see if they have a, a good and nurturing culture and there's the ups and downs. And then, you know, from there, you know, you could even reach out if you're really, you know, a go-getter, you know, see if you know anybody that works there or anybody that knows people that work there through LinkedIn and LinkedIn connections. And, you know, you could even strike up a conversation with somebody, you know, it, you know, it, uh, in the team and link in with them. And if you really wanted to go that far, but at the, at the bare minimum, research the company, research the leaders, look at their glass door ratings, do your homework. And then that'll also impress the people when you show up to do your interview, when you go, oh, I was reading a little bit about Tom, or I found out a little bit about Mooney, or I see that you guys really do this well, and, and I see your glass door ratings are awesome. Can you tell me a little bit more about this or tell me a little bit more about that? That would blow somebody's mind like crazy if, if a candidate showed up and had that kind of uh, insight. I would be like, you're hired. <laughs> Stop talking. Yeah. When, when do you want to start? You know, kind of a thing. Totally. Totally agree. If you're selling your solution to, to corporations and you must hear all the reasons under the sun for why they don't want to invest in culture, what are those reasons? What are the things that they tell themselves that convince them that they don't need to? It's never we don't need to. Usually it's we're not ready or not now, which is a cop out, you know, to tell you the truth because you'll never be ready, you know, kind of a situation You're like we need to get this right before we get that right, you know, before we embark upon this thing. So it's rare that somebody just says, you know, you know, we have a our recognition and motivation program. It's called paycheck every two weeks. If you don't like it, leave, you know, kind of a situation that's not going to motivate people very long. But at the end of the day, if we just need to figure out, you know, what's stopping people from pulling the trigger on and it's it's usually just they prioritize something above it they they complicate it they don't realize that you know it's the little things of just like something as simple as allowing people to appreciate each other and communication like just letting people know what's going on in the organization keeping a good uh open line of communication 
question so that they, they feel like they know what's happening and then letting everybody be a keeper of the culture by recognizing other people. And, you know, and hopefully that they look at it as a, as a simple lift versus a major lift. How do you balance this concept of appreciation without it being cheesy, right? Because like, I feel like sometimes forced acknowledgement is super obvious to the other party, if not done authentically, right? Like, like authentic appreciation is really yeah. useful. Inauthentic appreciation is not. It's, it's Versus mani- manipulation or just being fake or inauthentic. Yeah. And it, it is about being earnest and authentic. Like, you know, if you truly feel that somebody's done something, you know, nice for you or, or has done their job well, just don't hold back. Just, but if you can be specific about, you know, just like, Hey, great job. Or, you know, I, you know, thank you for your help. It's nice always to say those things, but if you can get to the point where you're just like, you know, uh, you know, Hey, great job on that podcast. And the way that you were asking those questions, you really were digging into some meaty parts of how to activate a culture and that's going to help lots of people all around the world make their businesses better way to go you know so when you can be more specific like that you know it's about something that you interact with and you you experienced and if i were to send that recognition to you you would know that that's thoughtful earnest and honest and it usually comes from that place now if i'm trying to manipulate you or to uh you know to what's the right word just uh you know um try to demonstrate, I, you know, that making it about me, it, it's not going to come across authentically and it actually can have it be counterproductive. And some people are naturally able to communicate appreciation in an authentic way and, and, and some people are not. So how, how do you, how do you train people to be better colleagues if it's not naturally part of their demeanor? Just build it into, you know, a habit you know, and by doing it and, and, you know, we're all, you know, everyone's lousy at whatever they start at the first time, but if you, you got to work at it, you got to flex that muscle and you've got to be consistent. So the, the first thing is just make it a priority, say, I'm going to do this and, and set up a little plan, time block to think about and reflect and then reach out and communicate, even build things into a, a practice. Like if you're a manager, and you're having, uh, you know, standing meetings with your team, start the meeting off with, uh, you know, a, a, a message of appreciation. Like who here wants to recognize someone else for their help or contributions, you know, or in our case, you can just go to the kudos messages and say, hey, I just want to highlight this really great message that so-and-so received from so-and-so. It really encapsulates what we're trying to do here. And then after that's done, move on to the next thing. So it's about putting culture front and center in everything that you do. And, and, you know, that's what I do. I time block and, and I, I try to always say before or after meeting, you know, thank you for doing what you're doing. I really appreciate it. And, uh, and then it's I follow how, It's amazing how impactful thank you is. I, I just, yeah. I've never understood why people don't use that word more. I, th- I, I don't know. I, you know, I, sometimes it's because we're so busy and social media and we're so inward focused. We forget to just stop and say, wow, there's a lot, a lot of people around me that make everything I do possible. I should just say thank you. How much of bad culture comes from, you know, there are some societal expectations of what leadership looks like. And I think that for a lot of people, they, they view leadership as the stoicness, this you know, this, this unemotional, this pure power without compassion where it's not true. I think real leaders know that's not true. 
Yeah. But how much of effed up culture you believe comes from some of these uh, stereotypes that we've built into our societies? Uh, yeah, maybe if some people are, again, trying to play a part versus be a person, you know, they can mess it up, uh, you know, because we need to bring our whole self to anything and, and be charitable and kind and, and, and understanding. You know, you have to have empathy uh, to a certain degree. It's maybe folks that, you know, uh, are so hard driven and, and hard on themselves and, and they, they assume everyone's like themselves. And so they treat everybody like they think they would be want to be treated or others. Like, you know, I've you know, again put taking it back to kind of a football metaphor. I've had a variety of coaches that have all coached me in different ways. And some coaches will bring to a game just like a CEO and treat everybody exactly the same. It might be scream at everybody to get the best performance out of them. Now that might work for a small cohort of individuals. They need that kind of motivation and that uh, that specific style to excel. But everyone else, it's tearing them down. So when you coach people, you have to understand what's the best way that will break through with that individual to get the maximum performance out of that individual. Some might be a kick in the butt and other people might be a hug. And, uh, and you just have to understand that dynamic in every relationship you have. But I've, I've also come to the understanding that not everyone's going to like you. It's just not possible. Oh. Right. And, and there's just certain things about certain people that just rub you the wrong way. Yeah. So at some point you can't care about everything. Right. No. So how, how do you pinpoint when you should be caring and not, you know, and maybe you, you, You've lost sight of something versus like, no, I have to just do what I think is right. Be a good person and understand that not everyone's going to like me. Yeah. Well, give everybody a, a chance. But if, if even if someone doesn't like you, it doesn't mean like that they can't be a solid uh, individual that will contribute to the team. If that animosity or that that distance creates dysfunction with the team, you got to nip it in the bud and, you know, and, and trade players back to coaching metaphor. You know, kind of thing, because you want to create an accretive scenario where one plus one equals three, where all the team members uh, might not be the superstars, but they all together become a championship team. And you've got to coach them well to get that performance level out of them. So, you know, just because somebody isn't 100 percent simpatico or you, they wouldn't exactly pass the beer test uh, doesn't mean they shouldn't be part of your team. But if they become toxic or, uh, you know, or undermine the organization and the, the culture and the camaraderie, you got to, you know, make sure that you let them go and, and to hold the cohesiveness of the team. You know, it's, it's the old adage of hire slow, fire fast. Hard to do them. It is hard to do. And that's, and that's, I kind of think when the, the really great leaders, you know, can be very, you know, show a lot of empathy, but a lot of leadership by making those hard decisions. And that's kind of what, separates the the really great leaders and the big successful companies is that you know they have that self-awareness to understand uh you know and to come to grips with you know sometimes difficult decisions have to be made and you, and you need to make them but you can still be uh empathetic uh and uh and you know uh, to even to the point where if you do let somebody go they understand why and they actually it actually can even build your relationship with that person stronger. It might not be immediately, but years later, they might come back and go, 
you know, when you, you let me go, that was the best thing that ever happened to me. It got my, it got me going in the right direction. So, so before I let you go, uh, I got one other topic to, to discuss because you know, obviously of your expertise, I speak to CEOs and other founders all the time and, and COVID has done a, a real number on, on our ability to, to, uh, you know, be obviously be present with, uh, with our people to maintain that, that DNA that makes the company's culture so unique and special. It's something that, that I think about all the time because it's one of the tenants of firepower is it being a unique place culturally. Yeah. COVID has made it tougher for sure. It's tough. What would you recommend that CEOs or, founders or executives do? And do you think that it'll ever be back to normal or, or we have to get used to a different way of doing business? Because I'm kind of convinced that we're not going to be back in the office five days a week ever. Yeah. Hundred percent. I think there's gonna be some new ways that we need to start thinking about how to maintain culture. Yeah, it's it's fascinating. I do think the genie's out of the bottle. It's not going to be put back. Uh, we are going to be working in a a new hybrid way. There's going to be, you know, three days in, two days out. Some people will choose to work remotely continuously. People don't have to be in the same town as you to be a team member anymore. It really opened up the fact that. Any of us can work together from anywhere, uh, but you then you need a strong culture to even cross that chasm of, you know, how do you keep people globally, even if you're if you're a 200 person company, a 2000 person company, 20,000 person company and the bigger companies obviously are going to be more distributed. But now every company, 20, 200, 2000, we're all in the same boat. How do you bring everybody together? And technology helps like Zoom meetings and, and, uh, you know, products like Kudos and, and, uh, you know, uh, Teams and Slack. And, you know, there's so many different ways to, to connect and communicate. But it doesn't replace the beer. And that's the hardest thing in the world. You know, so hopefully we can get back to that. Like even next week for our company, we're getting everybody together down at, uh, at, uh, one of the, uh, you know, spots here in town to say, so we're going to do it socially distanced and proper, you know, and all that fun stuff. But we do want everyone to get together because there's like nothing like that personal time. And heck, we don't, you know, we've been hiring so many people. People don't know any, they've never met each other in person. And, yeah. uh, you know, and so those types of things are still going to be important. So, and we'd highly recommend it because nothing is better than that face to face. But it just the reality of it is we're going to be working in this, uh, you know, uh, distributed environment, uh, going forward. And you just need to make sure that, that you put in the little things that can keep that cultural glue, uh, and keep the team together. And, uh, and that's just frequent meetings, one-on-ones systems like, uh, a kudos, uh, uh, you know, to, uh, allow people to, you know, live the culture remotely. Yeah. I, 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 I told everyone around me is over communicate. You have to over communicate <laughs> in, 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 you know, in this, new world versus relying on the subtleties of being around one another and feeling that energy. Yeah. You can't yeah. get that anymore. So over communicate. Yeah. We used to, uh, you know, have collisions in the office, like ideas would just happen because you'd be like, you'd have an epiphany and you'd turn to someone else or you'd call a quick meeting or, uh, and do these things. And it, it, and it was allowed us all to move faster. And you're, you're absolutely right with in this world, like still have those collisions where, you know, you can quickly see if somebody is available in teams and, you know, have a quick chat and see if they're available or, or book things or bring a few people together. So it's not a hundred percent the same, uh, but it is, uh, you know, it's just the new challenge in the way that we all operate. And, uh, we just got to use technology better and also just get back to hopefully when, 
when um, you know uh, the the COVID scenario uh, continues to improve, you know we can start to get a little bit back to our you know our previous lives of of being together, even if it's just one or two days a week. It, it will make all the difference in the world, and we'll be more efficient the way we work today with technology. Absolutely. Well, Tom, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. For those that would like to. Take, you know, check out Kudos. We'll have a link, obviously. But for those that want to follow along with what you're up to, I know you do some public speaking as well. Uh, what's the best way that they can uh, follow along? Yeah, re- reach out to me through LinkedIn, you know, and just connect, send me a note, uh, you know, highlight that you caught me on uh, on the podcast with Firepower and uh, happy to chat with anyone and share what little wisdom I have or, or hopefully uh, tell you more about Kudos if you think it's something that can help you. And, and I would just encourage everyone to, just show a little bit more appreciation and, and gratitude to those around you. And, and the funny thing about that, it's not about, it, it will help other people feel better, but the actual effect on you personally, just by saying thank you, just by smiling, just by uh, keeping a positive av- attitude, it's better for you uh, than even the person that you're showing that appreciation to. Couldn't agree more. And on that, that's a perfect way to end it. So thank you so much, Tom. And until next time. You betcha. Thank you. That's it for this week. If you enjoyed what you heard, rate us and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. Until next time on A Dealmaker's DNA, where you can expect the unexpected.